before I get into the sermon today, just um, want to acknowledge uh, that Veterans Day was Thursday, and the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due, and typically we recognize those who have served uh, in our armed forces. So if you're a veteran, if you would just stand very briefly for us, and then you can have a seat. We're thankful for you. Thank you. Strikes me that the topic of my sermon today is probably something that's true of veterans statistically. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Um, I know that veterans have higher rates of um, suicide and so maybe experience more loneliness, and today we're going to talk about that. Have you ever prayed a prayer, something like Psalm 25, verse 16? Let's put that verse on the screen. It says... Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Yeah, just that verse. Have you ever prayed something like that? God, I'm lonely. God, I feel like I'm afflicted, like things are after me, people are after me, my circumstances in life aren't fair to me, and I'm lonely. The topic of the sermon today is loneliness. I don't have a whole bunch of slides like I have in the past outlining this, but it's pretty simple. Here it is. Being overwhelmed by loneliness and overcoming it. Okay? Um, being overwhelmed by loneliness is, um, is maybe a modern phenomenon. Um, in, consider this. In 1674, the English naturalist John Ray placed the word loneliness in a list of infrequently used words with the definition of uh, referring to people and places that are far from neighbors. Fast forward to 2018 when the United Kingdom created a government office for, quote, the minister of loneliness because it had become an epidemic in the country. Chronic loneliness reached 45% of the adults. In the United States, it's worse. In 2020, 17% of Americans reported having no one that they were close with, which was up 9 percentage points from 2013. You might attribute that to COVID. COVID no doubt had some impact, but is not the sole cause of it because consider these statistics from 2019, the year before COVID started. Run by Cigna Healthcare, a study found that 61% of adult Americans identified as lonely, up 7% from 2018, one year earlier. And furthermore, that 71% of millennials and 79% of Gen Z report feeling lonely. According to a 2017 report from Harvard University, loneliness has a risk factor similar to that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day and can shorten a life, person's lifespan by eight years. And we are living in an epidemic of loneliness in our country. That rise in social isolation with record levels of mental illness, declining rates of volunteerism and religious affiliation, two of which are community-related events, fewer close friends than even a decade ago. Maybe you feel really isolated and without any real friend that you can talk to. As you age, more of your friends are passing away. Maybe you feel like you're becoming more introverted and have less energy for others. 
Do you find yourself sitting at home alone, drinking more, scrolling through social media more often? I mean, these could all be signs that you are more lonely. What are some of the contributing factors to loneliness? I imagine there's a lot, too many for me to cover today, and I don't even pretend to know them all, but I I know a few of them. One of them, we can say, is social media. Social media is one of the contributing factors to loneliness and explains some of the rise in the spike in the last decade. Studies suggest that using Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram and similar social media apps to keep in touch with friends and forge offline connections can, in fact, add vitality to one's life. It can be a good thing. But there's a limit to it. If you're spending too much time every day using social media, mainly as your substitute for real connection, then your feelings of loneliness and inadequacy will worsen. Young adults using social media two hours a day have two times the anxiety of those who don't. 50 plus social media visits per week has three times, have three times the social isolation as those who only visit nine times a week. And it's not just a young adult problem. It's an all-adult problem. Anybody using social media gets stuck in their routines online. They struggle to find new ways to foster friendships because they're used to just sitting and scrolling instead of getting out and being face-to-face with real people, not just virtual people. Social media followers and friends is, by the way, not the same thing as having real-life, face-to-face friends. And that's why at times it's really important in others, and it's not just the religious community doing this, it's, it's our community at large encouraging people to go on social media diets, consume social media in snack-sized portions, right? There's a movement to limit social media up through eighth grade because they're recognizing the detrimental effects it's having on society. But social media is not the only reason that we are an epidemic of loneliness. There are other reasons too. Um, this one I'm going to suggest, I don't know, I'm not going to give you st- statistics to back this up. I'm going to ask two questions about it. Political polarization. The, the fact is, it is much deeper in the United States than, in, than it is in any other Western civilized, Western nation, Western Europe, other things. The United States is much more deeply politically divided than other countries. That's a fact. And I think that may exacerbate loneliness. Right? I know stories of families and friends who have stopped talking because of arguments they've had over government policies, different issues, and so forth. And we know that through social media especially, people like to shoot insults like arrows at one another. And so that political polarization is exacerbating the loneliness issue. But I also wonder this. Is our political polarization actually an effect of the loneliness that was setting in? In other words, if we are more isolated than ever, could that mean that we are less likely to befriend somebody with different views face-to-face, having coffee together or whatever, and we only listen to those with our own views, and we only exchange over social media that would, in effect, broaden our polarization, would it not? Maybe our loneliness is contributing to it. In either case, it's there. 
and people are more and more lonely in our society today. So what do we do to overcome this loneliness? Um, Let's think about this for a minute in a couple of different ways. First is this. We need to recognize that overcoming loneliness is not simply overcoming a sociological problem. That of friends or community. It is more deeply a spiritual problem. Psalm 25, 18, we can put that on the screen, I think it's in there, says this, look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. Now, it was two verses before this that I read to you at the beginning about being afflicted and lonely. But now the psalmist is recognizing that part of that loneliness may in fact be due to his own sin in sense of that and needing to be forgiven of that 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 can be part of the affliction and loneliness that weighs the psalmist down in Psalm 25. Because loneliness at its deepest, most core place is a spiritual issue. Because you and I are not designed to be alone. We are designed and built by God to live in relationship with other human beings, in community with one another, and have friendships. And since our deepest problem is not a physical or sociological problem, though those are real, It therefore cannot be solved by man-made solutions of let's just get a little more volunteering or get a little more into this community and so forth. Those are all good things and they help. But it doesn't get to the whole problem. It's not a holistic treatment of the problem of loneliness. Our great enemy is the spiritual problem of sin and our spiritual enemy called Satan. Satan, whom the Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those to whom he may devour. And those who get isolated and feel lonely become prime prey. And and the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to understand with me that loneliness isn't just miserable when you're in it, but it is deeply dangerous spiritually. God has made a way to restore that relationship, right? Yeah, of course God made, made a way to restore that relationship with him. He entered the world in Jesus to restore that relationship. Now, now think about that for just a second and, and what that means in relationship to loneliness. Right? Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 13 to 15, he says, I no longer call you uh, servants, but friends. You can put it up there if you want to. He said, I, know, I, know, I call you friends. Greater lo- love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. And he's willing to lay down his life personally for his friends. So consider this. God doesn't just come as the good shepherd to protect you from the wolves, though he does. He doesn't just pass a new law declaring you to be acceptable in his sight, though he does in Christ. He doesn't just clean you up and wash you of your sins and make you pure, though he does in Christ. He doesn't just forgive an insurmountable debt load that you could never repay, though in Christ he does. He does more than that. He comes in person because we are made for relationship with God. It's the language of adoption where he brings us into his family to have belonging, a place where we're not alone, where we're loved and accepted. Jesus came as the big brother to rescue us and to bring us home. 
Christianity then is not just this thing you have to get into your head as an idea. It's not a concept. It's not just an idea. It's not just content. Christianity is a person. It's about Jesus. And until you know that person, you're only acting religious along ideas and values. But knowing the person is what changes everything. And that's important for us to understand, and you've probably heard before, but that's how God is combating loneliness. He's saying, it's personal with me. I made you. Like I made Adam and Eve to walk and talk in the garden and be together. And now there's a separation. But I came in person again so that you know, I do not want you to be lonely. Jesus says, I call you friend. If you haven't trusted him personally, then do that today. Make today the day that you trust in Christ as your Savior. Even so, if you are rescued and redeemed by Christ, you may still feel some measure of loneliness. And you might be going, hold on a second, you just told me that my deepest problem is that I need to know Jesus personally. And yes, I did say that, and that is true. But you, now you're telling me that even if I know that, I might still feel lonely? Then, then what gives? Who cares? Well, it matters for eternity, for one thing. But also, you may still feel measures of loneliness, this deeply seated kind of ache of, man, I just wish, like, I wish this or I wish that. I wish things to be better for that friendship. That friend didn't move away. Um, you know, I just wish. This longing for something better That deep-seated longing for something better is longing for paradise to be restored. The new heaven and the new earth to come to fruition when Jesus will make all things new. And that, my friends, should give you hope. Because there is a day when that aching, that sense of loneliness, will be no more. Because Jesus says, we're told in Revelation, that he will come to make the new heaven and new earth making all things new. And it's an ongoing making of all things new. Like there's nothing that won't be new. It doesn't stop being new. And that should give you great hope. Why should that give you great hope? Because if you're like me, and you're, most of you, thank the Lord or not, because then you don't have all my problems. But but if you're like me, and uh, you know you've lived likely more than half your life already, you start looking back, And long for those glory days. Man, when I used to be able to jump. Used to be able to dunk a basketball. Used to, used to, used to, used to, used to. (laughs) And those days are gone in the past. And sometimes it's easy to think my best days are behind me. And that's true no matter your age. If you're in that, that moment of loneliness in life. But the gospel is saying to you, what Jesus is saying to you is that's not true. Your best days are ahead of you. They are absolutely ahead of you. Now, it may not be better tomorrow, and and this life is still going to be tough, but because God is making all things new, a new heaven and new earth that will be forever, your best days are absolutely 100% ahead of you. And it means there's still this aching now in this life. Scott Saul's who wrote a book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, writes this. He says, Dear sinning, suffering, homesick friend, 
I pray that God will give you confidence that your best days and years, your most golden, healthy, happy adventures are never behind and always ahead of you. In the new heaven and earth, Jesus will continuously, continuously make all things new. So overcoming loneliness is certainly at its deepest point a spiritual issue, knowing that you need relationship with God, that that is good for now and it is good forever with no more loneliness or sorrow or tears. But overcoming loneliness is not just about the spiritual problem. There is the social problem too, right? For here and now. Proverbs 18.24, we can put that verse on the screen, says that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. One who has unreliable friends soon come to ruin, right? That's the importance. You need a friend. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Finding that kind of friend is important in life. And in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples that all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. What what the Bible is talking about in terms of friendship as opposed to loneliness is extremely important and valuable because it's recognizing that though we are spiritual, we are also social. This is the way God has made us to be in community. And we need friendship. Again, Scott Sauls writes from that book saying this, God created us to be truth tellers, not soul crushers or life suckers. He puts us in people's lives to awaken them, not to exhaust them. Loving each other means we could learn to like each other. Loving each other means we can learn to need each other for our differences, not just our commonalities. Some people call this a rare kind of friendship. Others call it church. It's what Jesus is saying. That despite our differences, even if, even if in here we are politically polarized, we have something greater that unites us. Even in our differences, we are to love one another. Especially in here. It happens in the world at times, right? Where people, by God's common grace, make good, solid friendships that last. Those are great things. We all need great friendships. When they're a Christian friendship, boy, that that runs deep as blood, Christ's blood, and runs across division and lines. To say what unites us is stronger than what divides us. Do we love each other that way? Because Jesus said, if you love one another this way, all men will know you are my disciples. And the truth is that all of us are probably insecure about something in life. Some of us are insecure about most everything in life. And most of us are under-encouraged because we live in a day in which we pick at people, we're polarized, and people are lonely. We all need friends. We all need friends. Man, isn't that the truth? You may be thinking, okay, yeah, I need friends. I wish somebody would reach out to me and be my friend. You know, there's, there's two sides to that friend equation, right? And the other side of that is you got to be a friend to have a friend. You got to reach out too. It takes two. It's going to take effort of two people or more to do that. But it's got to go both ways. You got to need a friend and you got to be a friend. The other thing that I think is worth saying is it appears to people, and, and I'm going to say this to high school, middle school, and high school kids because you'll get this, but it's not only to you, okay? This is true of adults. Adults are no different than you. They're just older. They're still people. They do all the same stuff. 
You look around at your schools and you're like, oh, that person's popular. Look at the crowd following them. Your parents do the same thing. It's just in different ways. Look at, oh, look at that person. They're popular. Let me tell you, popularity is not the same thing as having friends. It's not. Popularity comes and goes. It's not the same as having friends. Social media followers are not the same as having friends. It's good. You can influence. You can share things. You can even monetize it and make money off it. It's great. It's not the same as having friends. Sometimes it can make it worse. Right? And, and friends, we all need friends. I mean, I know I need friends, and I have some good friends, so I'm thankful for that. And I know you need friends. I know our country needs friends because we're in this loneliness epidemic. And that means friends that are, that are not just there to say, uh, oh, cheer, rah, rah, hey, it's good, but when things are hard, who's going to show up? It's going to be your door. It means that to be a friend and to need a friend, when you say, oh, how are you doing? And you say, fine, you don't allow that answer. One time on a men's retreat, our men's retreat speaker was leading discussion groups, and he came in and sat in on my discussion group. I'm like, I'm the pastor. I got this under control. Don't worry about it. We're sitting around a fire talking. We're supposed to share something personal and deep, right? And so I share something that was kind of lame, and he threw a water bottle at me. He said, stop with the lame answers. Go deeper. We need people to know us, to know the real us. So it's good to say, you know, I'm not fine. Today's a hard day. And let that person know that. And to come close to those people in those situations. Because we all have them. Probably more hard days than good days, truth be told. Long distance relationships. Man, I remember when Michelle and I were dating and, and, uh, in college and we were apart for summers. Long distance relationships are tough and I don't know how people do those but um, one thing that helped me during long distance relationships was having other friends because um, it gave me other people to invest in and other things to be part of and do and I didn't just wish <laughs> that I wasn't where I am now and I was with Michelle. Friendships are important in that way. It's important to invest in other good friendships. It can also happen in marriages. Your spouse may be your best friend, and that's a good thing. But it's not the only friend you need in life, your spouse. It's good to have other friends. You need other friends. Because it'll help your marriage, too. Today, how do you kind of put this in practice? How do you specifically, like, go about... How do we combat loneliness and be friendly with people? Um, today, one thing you could do is after the benediction, when you stand up and you see somebody next to them, just give them a big smile and say, it's really good to see you today. I mean, Jeremy gave you guys encouragement when he heard your voices singing. He said, you don't know what that means to me, but that was encouraging to him. And, and I'm with him on that. Like, sometimes I come, I'm not a very good singer. You, if you sat near me, you know that already. <laughs> so sometimes I stop singing because I just need to hear you. Remind me of the promises of the gospel. You might do more than give him a smile. I might give him a pat on the back or just give him a big old bear hug and say, it's really good to see you today. I'm glad you're here. 
Invite someone over for a meal. Coming into holidays, right, the reality is that some people are lonely, especially during the holidays. When they can't be with family, maybe because they're overseas, maybe they're serving in the military, or maybe they're family, maybe there's not much family left. If widows and widowers who need places to have meals during the holidays, invite somebody over. And if you have any ideas to help connect people, to help combat loneliness and try to build some friendships, then talk to Brian Fletcher about it. You could talk to me too, but he's over our small group ministry and that's kind of how we do that, trying to connect those things, right? To give you places to connect. But maybe there's new ways you got to do that or exciting ways you, you think we could do that. I, I've got one idea that, that I hope we can pull off and, um, and that idea is somewhat me-centered. No, it's very me-centered. The World Cup starts in seven days. Get two huge TVs in here. Some international food, depending on who's playing. Invite the community in. Invite you in. Somebody make that happen. Um, <laughs> Thursday, as we recognized earlier, was Veterans Day. And um, it always reminds me of 9-11. And it should remind me more than that, but that's partly my generation and my age. And 9-11 is often attributed, and well, not attributed, thought more about on Memorial Day because of the great sacrifice And yet it's important that we remember it even on Veterans Day because it's the reason that so many people signed up or signed up again. In my opinion, the greatest halftime Super Bowl ever was in 2002 after 9-11 in the Superdome in New Orleans when U2 took the stage. They began their second song after a beautiful day and a black screen arose behind them all the way to the ceiling. And across that screen were scrolling the projected names of all the victims who died in 9-11, going skyward. The edge began that familiar percussive beat, those chords from where the streets have no name. And Bono prays Psalm 51-15, O Lord, open my lips so my mouth shall show forth thy praise. The band crashed into the song together, Bono shouting America and then screaming out just kind of maybe a lament, maybe a cry of hallelujah, I'm not sure, but they go on with where the streets have no name, which is a song they wrote a lament, a prayer for unity that transcends divisions of race and class and nation coming from their Irish background in the Protestant Catholic Wars. As the song ends, you may remember this. Bono opens his jacket and reveals the stars and stripes sewn into the lining of his jacket as a show of solidarity with America. Christians, brothers and sisters, we have more than a symbol of solidarity. We have a person and his name is Jesus. And I want you to know him while we long for that place where the streets have no name, we need to be carrying each other now, carrying each other's burdens, loving one another, looking after one another, befriending one another. And yes, befriending one another is sometimes costly. But isn't love always costly? It is. We need to remember 
Our lives are not our own. God made us for others. Let's share our lives with one another. Let's befriend. Let's combat loneliness. Let's build community together. Will you join me? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to be people in your church that is like a light shining on the hill where people can be known and loved and welcomed and befriended because we know that we have been by Jesus. Will that light shine brightly in times of darkness where loneliness and despair seem to reign? Help us to love one another well in the church and in our communities and in our neighborhoods. We pray that other people will see us and know that there's something different and that we'll be able to say it's because we're followers of Jesus. And so Jesus, will you use that to awaken a spiritual awakening, a movement, restoring and reconciling relationships to you. We ask in your name, amen. The ushers are gonna come forward to